0: He writes, Yusuf was our family's pastor for about a year. An endearing older gentleman, he possesses the kind of grandfatherly disposition that can warm any child's heart. Yusuf only has a small flock, a congregation of about 30 that gathers in a nondescript basement apartment in the midst of a sprawling Central Asian metropolis. His little church was less than a one mile walk from our first home overseas. On my introduction to Pastor Yusuf, he welcomed me into his church and showed me a Bible on his desk, complete with an unmistakable bullet hole, a real conversation starter for what he'd endured as a minister of the gospel. During our time there, on a Saturday evening before Easter, Yusuf sat in his small church office preparing and praying for the coming Lord's Day. That's when he heard a commotion outside and a call at the gate. He rose from his study, opened a screeching metal door, and climbed the concrete steps into the night air. There, at the front entrance, was a group of young men waiting for him. What happened next was a mixture of the shocking and predictable. The young thugs immediately launched into a tirade of hate-filled speech, threatening Pastor Yusuf. They said his church had no place in their Muslim community. They accosted him for corrupting the neighborhood. They told him he and his church were no longer welcome. Then, almost without warning, one ruffian kicked him in the chest, knocking Yusuf's small frame backwards. He tumbled down the concrete stair. The assailants fled. What Pastor Yusuf experienced that pre-Easter evening is not an uncommon experience for God's people down through the centuries our King Jesus promised that as we follow him, we too will be persecuted as he was. Yet as we face persecution, one of the most insidious enemies we will face will not be the violence from without, but the fear of man from within. Oftentimes we will be tempted to be silent and to seek the approval of others. We'll be tempted to smooth over the so-called offensive parts of the gospel message or apologize for things our Savior has said. So how can we be prepared for those temptations as we seek to follow our King? Well, Jesus, in our passage this morning, has some specific instruction for us in this very matter, and he tells us whom we should fear. On your bulletins, I said, who to fear. I know the grammar nerds among you were upset by that, and so I just corrected that verbally, so hopefully you can concentrate now. So, follow along as I read Luke 12, starting in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You're of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I think we see three distinct commands here from King Jesus to his disciples, and by extension to you and me, Christian. So let's break this passage down into three commands from Jesus. First, beware hypocrisy. Sound familiar from last week? Beware hypocrisy. Jesus isn't done teaching us about this. Second, fear rightly. Fear rightly. And third, acknowledge publicly. Acknowledge publicly. So let's teach, take each one in turn and pray that the Lord humbles us and emboldens us and equips us as we come to his word. So first, beware hypocrisy. And again, like I just said, this comes on the heels of our study last week where we consider the theme of hypocrisy more in depth. So look with me at verse 1. Luke says there that at this time, people are flocking to Jesus in such numbers that they're trampling each other. Uh, These crowds are growing, and so Jesus takes this opportunity to exhort his disciples not to play to the crowd, right? If you think about it, we often become hypocritical because we want to maintain a public image in front of others. That's why we start becoming hypocrites. So we put forward a mask that pleases others, even if it's not really the real deal. So imagine how Jesus's disciples must be feeling at this point. Imagine thousands of people coming to you so just crushing in on you to get to your teacher. they're, They're all hearing about you. They're all wanting to come see you. I mean, Just imagine the fear of man that's starting to build inside of you. We should keep these crowds, right? We should should keep these many people here. What do we need to do in order to keep them with us? So the disciples must be warned lest they stumble into the path of the Pharisees, into the path of Jesus, what Jesus says is hypocrisy. Jesus says there in verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy uses this image of a of a loaf of bread and he says hypocrisy is like leaven or or yeast that is used as an ingredient in bread slowly but surely those of you who make bread the yeast starts to infiltrate the entire loaf so jesus says likewise hypocrisy is a dangerous insidious foe it works subtly under the radar You don't put much of it in the bread, but when you put it in, it infiltrates everything and changes everything. So why should the disciples beware? Well, because ultimately hypocrites will be exposed. For that matter, ultimately everyone will be exposed for who they really are, what they've really said, and all they've really done. Look at verse 2. This is scary. Jesus says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known therefore whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops he's speaking of the final judgment when god will reveal all deeds and judge every single person and he says just get jesus's logic it's clear he says at that point the smoke screen of hypocrisy is just going to dissipate completely and everyone will be shown for their true colors So he says, beware. You may try to cover it up now, but in the end, it's just not going to matter. Sin will never pay off. Friend, who you really are will be exposed soon enough. You're not going to be able to keep it under wraps forever. Jesus is saying, why go to all the trouble when it's not going to matter? Or on an even more serious note, why try to hide when God the judge will eventually reveal what he actually already knows about you anyway? Everyone is going to know everything about you. Why hide now when that's the end game in mind? So friend, is there something in your life you don't want others to know about? something you'd rather die than let anyone discover is a part of you have you become so highly invested in hiding this dark place that much energy in your life is taken up with the anxiety about who or when somebody will find out friend you're living a miserable existence and right now Jesus is inviting you to expose yourself to the light If you've never turned to him for forgiveness of your sin, do so now before the final day, before it's too late. If you're going to keep this cover up going as long as you can, you're just going to find you're fighting a losing battle because everyone's going to know soon enough So turn to God now and find his mercy now. His mercy is more. It's greater than your sin. It's mercy that judge Jesus in your place on the cross so that if you would repent of your sin and bring it to the light, it will be washed away, separated from you. On the cross, God the judge poured out his righteous wrath for our sin on his Son. That's the only way to avoid God's judgment. The only way to avoid the, the judgment of God is through the salvation of God. He's made a way for you. Believe, repent, and believe. If you have questions about that, we're here to talk afterwards. You can contact me during the week. We'd love to talk more about the the joy and freedom and salvation that comes from being exposed now for who you really are and receiving the forgiveness of Christ. And Christian, God knows you inside and outside. He knows the, what Jesus calls the private rooms of your heart. Think about your house. Think about the words that have been uttered in the most private of rooms. He knows it all. So don't buy into the lie that you need to hide those parts from him. It's, a, it's futile. And don't buy the lie you need to hide those things from others in the church. Trust in Christ. He's saying these words to you and he loves you. Run to him and find true freedom. I'm, I mean, imagine if Loudoun Valley Baptist Church became more and more, and I'm not saying it already isn't, but becomes more and more, a church full of people who fear God more than the approval of everybody else sitting in this room. If we become more and more those who understand that all things will be revealed in time and we do away with pointless facades, while wow, God can use people like that in marvelous ways. Think about how much more peace we would have if we weren't so afraid of gaining each other's approval. Think about how much joy we would have if we if we confessed our sin and watched it just washed away. So church, beware hypocrisy for there is no future in it. Second, fear rightly. Look at verse four. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. So killing the body, I mean, that's pretty intense, right? That's scary. There's this thing called self-preservation that keeps us alive, and it's that impulse that drives us to avoid danger, to run from threats. It's what keeps us alive. So if anything's a legitimate fear, Jesus, I think this one's one of those. But Jesus says there's actually a greater force than that which would take our physical lives. He says in verse 5, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus repeats fear three times. You fear the, feel the emphasis in his words. He knows this is crucial for Christians to understand. And I love it that he doesn't just say, do not fear, it'll be okay, you'll be fine. He doesn't just try to smooth things over and make us chill out. No, he replaces our very real fear with a realer fear. Men can only do so much to you. God has authority to judge you even beyond death itself. So Christian, fear God. Live for him. Worship him. Love him. Center your gaze and your goal and your future on him because he's controlling it all. But still, there's there's a very real pain in our present, isn't there? I mean, for Pastor Yusuf getting kicked down the stairs, there's real pain, there's real hurt. So does God just say, Shake that off in the end? It'll be okay. In the end, you know, all things are gonna get ordered out, fear me, because I, I have the end in mind. Yes, he does say that, but look at verse six. This is wonderful. Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, God is the one who deserves your fear and awe. He's the judge over everything. But he loves you. He loves his own. He knows you, his child, inside and out. He knows exactly what you need and he's going to provide it, even in times when he calls you, like we just sang, to walk through the fire. Sparrows were the least expensive thing you could purchase at market in those days. They were poor people food. They're one of the least valuable things you could spend your money on. Yet Jesus says God knows each one of them. I looked it up this past week. The average person has about 100,000 hairs on their head. I know some of you missed those days. (laughs) I'm becoming one of you. But I also read that for most of us, we lose 50 to 100 hairs each day. So you think about this, 100,000 more or less, you're losing up to 100 a day. Jesus says God knows each hair all the time. I mean, think about it. If that's the case, don't you think He'll take care of you in your direst persecution? Don't you think He'll take care of you even beyond the grave when your hair is literally disintegrated in a coffin somewhere? In his famous work, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan writes of Christian and Faithful, these pilgrims who, on their journey to heaven, what he calls the Celestial City, go through a place called Vanity Fair. And there they're persecuted and and put on trial for wanting to serve God. And when the dust settles, we find Faithful has perished. Christian has lost his, his traveling companion. But listen to how Bunyan describes the moments after Faithful's death. He says, they therefore brought Faithful out to do with him according to their law. And first they scourged him, then they buffeted him, then they lanced his flesh with knives. And after that, they stoned him with stones, then pricked him with their swords. And last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus came Faithful to his end. Now I saw that there stood behind the multitude a chariot, And a couple of horses waiting for Faithful, who so soon as his adversaries had dispatched him, was taken up into it. And straightway was carried up through the clouds with sound of trumpet, the nearest way to the celestial gate. Church Faithful found that men can only do so much. Even death has been overcome by this king. We are to fear him the one who controls our eternal destiny, the one who cares for his own and will always provide exactly what we need, even in the direst of persecutions. We are to fear rightly. A final command we see is that we are to acknowledge publicly. Look in your Bibles at verse eight. Jesus tells his disciples, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. If you'll remember, a big theme over the past month that we spent in Luke's gospel has been this idea that you can't be neutral with Jesus. You're either for him or you're against him. He's either your king or your enemy. And we see the same truth here yet again. There are only two kinds of people. Those who acknowledge Jesus over the course of their lives and those who will deny him over the course of their lives. There in verse 10, we see Jesus mention this sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Matthew and Mark also mention this in their gospel accounts, and much ink has been spilled over the years about what exactly that means. Uh, We can for sure talk more later, if you'd like. But to put it simply, what I think Jesus is saying there is that when we reject the Spirit, whose role is to lead us to Jesus and shine a spotlight on Jesus... We simply cut off the only way we can ever be saved. There's no other way but by the Spirit. Daryl Bach, the New Testament scholar, puts it succinctly. When he says, Once the Spirit's testimony about God's work through Jesus is permanently refused, then nothing can be forgiven. Since God's plan has been rejected there are only two ways to respond to Jesus. We either receive him as a savior of our souls or we deny him to the bitter end and there will be a final judgment. So today is the day you need to decide where you stand with Jesus. Well, there in verse 11, Jesus says that his followers will face persecution and they must know that at that time they will need to speak publicly about their allegiance to him. Perhaps temptations will arise to anxiety, but Jesus will be right there with him through his spirit. He says there, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, public acknowledgement of Jesus isn't always easy. If there's ever a place where we can be tempted to be silent, it's in front of others, right? And we even live in a culture fairly open to hearing about our faith compared to any other culture in the world. Of course, that's changing. But all the more reason to pay attention to this text. What about when it becomes harder? What about when your job is at risk for being a Christian? Or your home? Or your life? We see here in these verses a delightful promise from Jesus that he will acknowledge us before the angels in heaven and that he will be with us by his Spirit. I mean, remember what he's been teaching us, that we must fear God above all, acknowledge him above all, love him above all. And Jesus says, I will be with you. I will give you these amazing promises for when I call you to suffer for my name. So Christian, where is your synagogue? You know what I mean. Where, where's the place where maybe not... Being dragged, literally, but where's the place where the Lord is calling you to speak publicly for Jesus in your life right now? Wherever it is, and it's somewhere, be obedient. Fear God more than the glaring eyes and mocking expressions of others, fear Him more than losing their approval. especially when things become antagonistic, we can often get anxious about being out-argued or or shamed. But Jesus says he will be with us when we're persecuted for his name's sake. And he will even give us the right words to say. So are you in? Will you obey? I think there's this sense of urgency here to show our true colors in front of others and not cover up. If we cover up our faith over the course of our lives, are we truly even followers of Christ at all? Christian, here's what Jesus is saying. You can either fear man and say nothing, or you can fear God and say something. Which will it be? You know, this is where the community of the church can be of incredible assistance to you. So if you have people in your neighborhood or your workplace who need to hear about Jesus, share their names with with people in this church. People in your community group or your one-to-one Bible study. Ask them to be praying that you would be bold to share and then circle back and report to them how God helped you because he will. How he provided the words that were needed in the situation because he will. I wonder if you have somebody in your mind right now. I wonder if there's somebody else sitting in this room that you can mention that name to even before we leave this morning. There's this person in my life. There's this person in my neighborhood. I would love to share the hope I have with them. But for whatever reason, I'm not. I find excuses. I'm too embarrassed. We've known each other for five years and I've never brought this up. It seems awkward now. You know, at the last judgment, nobody's going to care about any of that. So I wonder if you have a, a face in mind right now, and then there's somebody else in this room you can share that with even today. As Elliot Clark points out in his book, Evangelism as Exiles, judgment is coming. If you believe that's true you should be telling people about Jesus. Clark makes this distinction and he says it's not just about the fear of God which ultimately overall it is but it's also the fear for man not the fear of man the fear for man the fear for others because judgment is coming for them. So we need to make a decision fear man or fear God. What decision do you think Pastor Yusuf made after getting kicked down the stairs that night before Easter? Well, Clark picks up the story. He writes, The next morning when we arrived for church ready to celebrate our Lord's resurrection, we were met with news of the attack. Members spoke in hushed tones, wondering who had done this and if it was an isolated event. We were concerned about our pastor's condition, as well as the danger for our own gathering on a day of such significance to potential attackers. The joy of Easter was quickly threatened by genuine fear. But by the time our worship began, nerves seemed to have settled a bit. We took our places, including Pastor Yusuf sitting in his usual front row seat. The service opened with prayer and a song Then, about halfway through the time of worship, a group of three men entered the back door. We had visitors. Tension clouded the room. As the final song came to a close, our pastor stood and approached the front. He opened his Bible, turned, and looked up, and then he saw them. We all noticed him, noticed them. No one knew what would happen next. After an initial pause that seemed like ages, Pastor Yusuf launched into his sermon. With trembling voice, he immediately spoke of Christ and the gospel, his death and resurrection, and the need for all people to repent and believe. His eyes locked to the congregation. I sensed his gaze focus past my brow and directly to our visitors. Yusuf had taken inventory of the fear in the room and he decided to stock the shelves with an even greater fear, the coming judgment of God. Church pastor Yusuf chose to acknowledge his allegiance to the king and to fear God more than man. May we be like him. And see many come to know Jesus eternally because we didn't fear their approval of us. But what we feared was God's approval of them. We look to the one who has power over their lives and over their life to come. And we preach them Christ. Let's pray.